Uh, I know Glenda looked at the Word uh, last time, and uh, so this time what we want to look at is we want to get to Nehemiah. We've kind of like gone through bits leading up to the point where we get to Nehemiah, and I want to look at a little bit of who Nehemiah is, and then like three things that we can learn, uh, or uncommon things that we learn about Nehemiah and leadership, because Nehemiah is a leader. If Ezra is a theologian, and he is a theologian, and he's the the master kind of theologian in the uh, kind of narrative, then what Nehemiah is, is he's a leader. He kind of drives the story forward through leadership. Um, And Nehemiah is an interesting character. Uh, He's uh, the cupbearer to Artaxerxes. And uh, if you don't know who Artaxerxes is, is, uh, anyone watch the movie 300? Oh, Pascal is super excited. Some people have watched the movie 300, and in the movie 300, the Persian army marches on the 300 Greeks, uh, and, um, and that guy, he's massive. He's like eight foot four, um, and that's Xerxes. That's Artaxerxes' father in kind of history. Eight foot four, he's like, I'm the king of kings, Lord of lords, bow down to me, Leonidas. Like, he's, he's that, that oak that's built like, yeah, like a bodybuilder, and eight foot four, and so, so that's Xerxes, And uh, his son, Artaxerxes, is the one that takes over for him. So Xerxes gets killed uh, in in the history. Uh, One of his commanders ends up killing Xerxes. Um, And then history has two competing stories. But either Artaxerxes kills his older brother to take the throne, or he kills the person who killed his older brother to take the throne. So basically, Artaxerxes... I mean, he's mean, like all of them are. He's mean. And Nehemiah is the cupbearer to this king. Uh, now, to be a cupbearer is not just, he's not just a waiter, you know. He's not just there carrying the, the cup uh, to the king. To be the cupbearer, you had to be super trusted, Because if you wanted to kill the king, one of the easiest ways to kill the king was to poison his drinks. Um, And so, one of the easier ways to poison the king's drinks was to corrupt the cupbearer. So if if, uh, the cupbearer could, you know, succumb to corruption, then uh, he would be able to put the poison in the drink and uh, pass it on to the king, and then the king would die. So basically... The cupbearer was one of the most trusted people in the whole kingdom. He has a lot of trust of the king. The king is trusting the cupbearer with his life, essentially. And the cupbearer wasn't just someone that would deliver the drinks. He was administrative. He would have a leadership role. He would organize the wine. He would organize the food. He would do a lot of the organizing for what the king would would uh, eat and drink and make sure that everything that the king would have would not be poisoned, essentially. It would be the best of the best, and he was basically putting his life on the line for the king. So he was very trusted, um, and he would have had a lot of power. Um, One of the things that we learn from the first few chapters of Nehemiah is not only does he have a lot of power, like he would have governed 
one whole area of, of the king's kind of domain. But he, and this was very rare in those days, he would have direct access with the king, with Artaxerxes. So he would be able to speak to Artaxerxes one-on-one. So Nehemiah is a big deal, basically. In short, Nehemiah is a big deal. Um, he's got a lot of power, a lot of trust with the, the king. He's uh, of Jewish heritage, but would have been born in exile, um, which is an interesting thing because we're 99% sure that Nehemiah's never gone to Jerusalem. So when we read chapter one and we find out about him hearing about Jerusalem, here's someone who was born in exile, lived in exile, gone through the ranks of this Persian kingdom to become super powerful in exile, but he himself would have never, probably never have gone to Jerusalem. But... Somehow he carries concern for his, ultimately his home city, which is uh, one of the things that we learn. And then through some skill, through God's favor, Nehemiah, uh, you know, steps down from being the cupbearer to the king and becomes the governor of Judea. Um, and, uh, And then through leadership begins to, rebuild the city. So this is who Nehemiah is. Um, And uh, he's an interesting guy, but there's three things that I I kind of want to point out this week, uh, just that I think that we can learn a little bit about leadership um, when we look at Nehemiah's life. And they're three kind of uncommon things, so probably not the things that we normally would think about when we think about leadership. They, They three uncommon things. And the first thing is this idea of compassion. Um, So I want to read just the first part of Nehemiah. We'll read a few scriptures this morning. But Nehemiah 1 says this. It says to Nehemiah, son of Hakali, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnants that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. One of the the first things that we see about Nehemiah, which is just quite unconventional, he's never been to Jerusalem. He was born in exile. Some people come back from Jerusalem, from, um, and this would have probably been about, they say, 93 years after the first people have gone to Jerusalem. So after Zerubbabel and them have built the temple, it's about 93 years later, some people come back and they begin to tell him the story of Jerusalem. And his response is quite uncharacteristic for someone who would have been in such, I mean, think of the, if you've watched the movie 300, think of how they portray the Persian kingdom there of like absolute 
affluence and debauchery and power and uh, um, someone who was powerful in that kingdom, his first response is he sits down and weeps when he hears about the state of Jerusalem. What Nehemiah has is he has compassion. Um, Compassion uh, comes from the Latin word, compassio. You think I know Latin? I don't. Had to read this up. Um, but, but it means, compassion means to suffer with. So passion, uh, passion is to suffer. That's why Jesus dying on the cross is called the passion of Christ. It's the suffering of Christ. Uh, and com is with. Uh, and so compassion is to suffer with. Um, it is this idea that not only do <clears throat> I've, <clears throat> sorry, not only do I feel the pain of, of someone, not only do I have empathy for someone, but I enter into the pain of, of someone. Compassion is I'll suffer with. What, what happens with Nehemiah is he feels the pain of his, of his people, his, uh, the, the group of people that he's from, the Israelites that are in Jerusalem. He feels the pain of the city and he suffers with it. He uh, gets down and he weeps and he mourns and he feels and he experiences uh, that pain. And that pain moves him to do something, uh, which we, we will see. And one of the, the kind of key marks of what we see about the kingdom of God throughout the scriptures is that the kingdom of God always moves forward with compassion. It moves forward with compassion. So if you go to the start of Exodus, and Exodus um, by most accounts is like the start of the Israelite story. Most theologians believe that the Israelite story starts with Exodus, uh, and Genesis is the kind of like backstory. Um, it starts with Exodus, and, and if you go to, to Exodus 2 and 3, um, it says this, Exodus 2 verse 23, it says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God and God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned or had compassion about them. Then verse seven, the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned or I feel compassion about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. The Israelite story starts with the God of compassion seeing his people in pain story starts with Nehemiah hearing about the pain of his people and this moving them. We, we read about Jesus. Uh, it often says about Jesus when he heals someone, it says that Jesus moved with compassion, stretches out his hand and 
touches them or heals them. Jesus moved with compassion, sends his disciples out to people who are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is someone who is moved with compassion. And so we see the kingdom of God moves forward with compassion. We often think about leadership, when we, when we read leadership books and we think about leadership, we think of leadership in terms of people who are gifted or vision, who have a lot of vision. We think about this idea of, of being able to turn potential into profit. That's often how we, we think about leadership in our days. Is can someone see potential and turn that potential into profit? And I understand we need profit in business. If we always run a loss, the business just goes boomps and then it can't run. So I understand that. Um, but we often, our hallmarks of great leaders are people that can see potential into profit, into you know, some sort of return or reward. But the kingdom offers, operates in a different way. God is the one who looks on pain and turns pain into redemption. Nehemiah is the one who hears about the pain, about the, the trouble, about the, the, the problems in Jerusalem, and that moves him to, to see redemption come. Jesus looks on the pain of people, and he's moved with compassion. The kingdom moves forward with compassion, turning pain, turning the problems of this world into redemption. I think one of the key marks of when it's operating at its best, and history tells us of Christian leadership operating at its worst as well, but when it's operating at its best, like Jesus, like we see God in Exodus, like we see Nehemiah, it's operating with compassion. It sees pain. It hears the cry. It is moved by the affliction of what is going on around us. Nehemiah wants to bring God's redemptive activity to Jerusalem. God redeems his people out of Egypt uh, through Moses. Jesus is moved with compassion, sees the pain and the plight of people in his day and brings the kingdom of God to, towards them. Christian leadership at its best is a leadership that is driven by compassion. Compassion. Can we feel, suffer with, be moved by what is going on around us? For Nehemiah to leave the king's courts, he has one of the most trusted positions in Persia, which is the empire of the day, the most powerful empire of the day. He's got one of the, the most powerful positions. It seems ridiculous that he is going to leave that to go to a city that he is weeping about because of how broken it is. But he does it because he has compassion. San Diego, 
And San Diego is pretty spectacular in, in some ways. Um, like, you can walk around the city in the middle of the night. Nothing's going to happen to you, um, which is quite cool. Um, you know, there's just a lot of vibe, a lot of stuff going on, um, et cetera, et cetera. And um, <laughs> we had a few people ask us if we were going to come back, you know. Um, when we told people, hey, we're going to San Diego, they're like, are you coming back? <laughs> you know, like, uh-oh, <laughs> we know some people that have gone there and didn't come back. Um, so, so, you know, people were wondering, are, are you going to come back? And in some ways, it seems ridiculous to come back to Durban. Um, driving around our neighborhood, there's one area that still has, like, a sinkhole from the floods that is, like up to the top of the TV screen. It's just like, still, this massive hole on the side of the road. You kind of drive past it, hoping that it's not going to fall anymore, you know? And, and you're looking at this, and then you drive in San Diego, and the roads are just, like, perfect. There's no potholes, no problems. Everyone's obeying the, the roads. In fact, it's so freaky in San Diego that if you step off the sidewalk, all the cars just stop. And you're like, what just happened there? Like, you're just waiting for them to go past, but they, they all stop and they're like, can you walk across? Because we can't go until you've walked across. Like, no jokes. Lisa and I got caught a couple of times. We were like, this is, what, what is going on? There's chaos here. And they're like, yeah, it's you. Move, like walk. You've stepped onto the road. Can you now go across? I mean, it just all works. Um, and then you come to South Africa and... Uh, Joburg's got no water. We're load shedding times. God moves towards the pain to bring redemptive activity in the brokenness. Praise is that Christian leaders, one of the things I pray for, that people would hear the story of Durban, like Nehemiah did, come and be part of what God is doing here in the rebuilding process. We see many people fleeing not only Durban, but South Africa. And my prayer, my hope is that some people who God is calling, who God is gifting with leadership, would be moved by compassion to bring their leadership into the pain to see his redemptive activity heal the brokenness. Demonstrates, I think, godly leadership at its best. He does not run from the brokenness. He moves towards it. God suffers with his people through his suffering about wholeness. The second thing we, we see about Nehemiah and leadership is Nehemiah is a person who prays. We see prayer, um, which I think is a common um, and probably not popular attribute of good godly leadership. Nehemiah prays. 
when he falls on, when he sits down and weeps and he mourns for days and fasts, what does he do? Do he prays uh, before God? And then one one of my favorite <laughs> kind of verses is that when he goes to the king, it says in verse four, the king says to me, "What is it you want?" And uh, and then it says of Nehemiah, then I prayed to God of heaven and I answered the king. I don't know if you've wondered what that looks like. Like Artaxerxes says to Nehemiah, what do you want? And it says that he prays to God and then answers the king. Like what does he do there? Does he get on his knees for a quick moment? Does he lift up his hands? Does he close his eyes? Like I don't know what he does uh, in that moment, but you've got what you are, the picture that you, that the Bible paints of Nehemiah is that he is a person who prays through every circumstance that he faces and every decision that he makes and every kind of big encounter that he walks into. He is a person of prayer. And let's be honest, like, I think prayer is not popular often because it's just really hard. I don't know if You've noticed that, but pray is really hard. Um, I try and pray, you know, like be spiritual and like, you know, they talk about praying, lying face down. Like, I can't do that because when I pray lying face down, I fall asleep straight away. <laughs> it's actually crazy, you know, like I get down, dear Lord, I don't even remember anything after dear Lord. Like I am out from that point. In fact, I say to Lisa, Lisa's like, I can't fall asleep. I'm like, just start praying. It works for me every time. <laughs> I lie in bed, I can't fall asleep. I'm like, Jesus, won't <laughs> Like prayer is really hard um, sometimes. Or when, when you're like trying to start a, a prayer session is like when all your productivity kind of stuff kicks into gear. You know, so like you're so unproductive. You're, you're looking at, you're scrolling social media. You're, you're doing absolutely nothing. You're like, let me go and pray. And then all of a sudden, as you start praying, you're like, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. Let me just quickly email that person. All of a sudden you get like super productive because you're just so distracted from praying. Prayer is really difficult. Um, it's one of the hardest things I think we, we do as Christians. And I think it's one of the hardest things because we're just so not used to being not self-reliant, not used to asking God for his help. We're not used to casting our reliance uh, on to God. But Nehemiah shows us that what good leadership is, is someone who's in God in all circumstances. It's, uh, it's, it's someone who prays, who goes to God and says, God, won't you come and work out your plans and purposes through me and the role that I play. Even Jesus, when he makes a big decision of choosing his 12 disciples, it says in Luke 6, it says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Jesus himself 
faced with the decision of choosing uh, the 12 apostles, what's the thing that he does? He goes and prays. Before the cross, Jesus goes to Gethsemane and spends the night in prayer. In fact, he rebukes his disciples a number of times because they just keep falling asleep. And he's like, can't you even like stay awake for one hour? Um, and he, he tunes his disciples because they aren't praying. Jesus prays. He's a person of prayer. And I think like one of the often unrecognized attributes of godly leadership is prayer. We're so used to seeing people who have charisma, who have gifts, who are able to dazzle us with fronts or how gifted they are when they speak. Um, but how many people are move, like moving the kingdom forward through compassion and through often the meeting with our bosses or... Uh, looking for investors or, um, you know, echo meeting, where, wherever it is that you found us. And you're there in a moment and you stop and do what Nehemiah did. Prayed and answered. Stops, he prays and he answers. I think God can give us favor in meetings that we wouldn't even dream possible as we begin to rely on him to do the work through us. Artaxerxes has trusted his whole life, his food, everything he's going to eat and drink to this man, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is asking to leave him, a job for him to replace but he gets so much favor from the king that he doesn't only get the yes, the go-ahead, but he gets the financial backing and everything with it. It's, it's an incredible amount of favor that he gets from the king. And how does he do it? He does it through prayer. And then the, the final kind of uncommon attribute of godly leadership is... Um, I really enjoy this. In Nehemiah 2 verse 17, he's now come to Jerusalem. He's gone around the city. He's looked at everything. He's assessed the situation. And now he speaks to the people and he says, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them, about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Um, the final attribute that we'll end now with is just this, is testimony. I, I love this, that Nehemiah has a story of God's hand on his life. And this is one of the ways that he leads with people. He says, hey guys, let me tell you how I got here. I got you by asking the king, and I got favor, and that favor came through God. Jesus uh, uses this testimony in a similar way. John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus while he's in testimony. He says, are you the Messiah? And he says, just go and tell them this. He doesn't give them a yes or no. He just says, go tell them this. The blind are seeing, 
the, the sick are healed, the dead are raised, you know, the gospel is being preached to the poor. Um, he's like, go and tell them that, like, the, the testimony of my life is what helps give me credibility in the spaces that I am in. And that's the same with Nehemiah. Nehemiah's got a testimony that he's telling. He's like, I am here to, to help rebuild the wall, but I'm here because God is the one who is at work in my life and has opened the doors for me to be here. When I think of testimony, testimony is the way our story connects with what God has done and is doing and will do in, in the world. Connect with that. And so Nehemiah is telling the story of saying, I was the cupbearer to the king. There was no way that I should be here, but I spoke to the king and God opened the door for me. What story you have in your life that will open doors for you to demonstrate compassion and open for you spaces that you enter in, that if you told them to people, it would begin to open doors for God's work in their life. I think often we're scared of our own testimonies. We're scared of, of allowing people to know about this personal side of God's activity in our life. We're often scared either because we feel like people just won't believe it, or, or people will think that's crazy or ridiculous or not so great. Or we're scared because we've heard someone's testimony. If you've been around the Christian world enough, uh, you've probably been to some event where someone gets up and tells this crazy story like, you know, they were doing this and doing that and then they were kidnapped and then, you know, something happened and then they were on a ship and they got out and angel came and then they arrived and here they are telling their story and who wants to get saved? Like, I don't know if you've ever been to those kind of events and you hear some of these most ridiculous, crazy stories and then you're kind of like, does my story matter? Does my story matter? Is it legitimate? Um, and it is legitimate. God is at work in this world, in the past, present, and future. And he's at work in your life. And your life is what helps people connect with what God is doing. It will help people connect, even in your workplace, uh, in your family, uh, in schools, and, and stuff like that. Our stories is what helps people connect with what God is has done, is doing, and will do in the world. Nehemiah, Nehemiah has a lot of really brilliant common leadership attributes. He's got vision, uh, he's got favor, he's obviously gifted, he can administrate, he knows how to get a lot of people doing a lot of things. If you read through kind of chapters three, four, five, and six, you kind of see Nehemiah's brilliant. He gets everyone doing something. Like, he's just a really good administrative leader. Um, but I think in, in the rebuilding process, as we kind of like fuss through how are we going to rebuild uh, Durban? How are we going to rebuild Harbour City? What is God doing? I think these three points just help ground us in some of the kind of unique attributes of, of Nehemiah's leadership. Compassion, prayer, and testimony. 
that God's kingdom moves forward through compassion. Where are you moved? What is drawing you to your knees in prayer? And what story do you have to tell uh, that will help others connect with what God is doing? Can I pray? Ezra and Nehemiah's story, the story of you rebuilding a people, rebuilding a city in brokenness. Thank you for Nehemiah, for his life, for a person who had probably never been to Jerusalem, but was moved with compassion for its people, who was drawn into prayer and reliance on you who shared that story and began to see change uh, in the city of Jerusalem because you were using him in that space. Pray, Lord, for us, for those of us who are here in Durban, in South Africa, who are here at Harbour City. Lord, I pray that you would move us with compassion, that our eyes would be opened, that our ears would hear of you, you're a God whose eyes see the pain of your people and you hear the cry in their affliction and you are moved with compassion to bring redemption. And I pray, Lord, that we too see and hear and be moved like you are. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a people of prayer. You'd help us day by day to put our trust in you meeting by meeting, event by event, just relying on you to break into to our lives. Morning, people who have got big meetings to go to, decisions that need to be made, requests uh, that have to be asked. Oh Lord, I pray, even as Nehemiah found favor, that you would give uh, people in Harbor City favor in Jesus' name. That as they put their trust in you, I pray that you would open the doors for, for them in Jesus' name. Our lives, thank you that you are at work in Durban, Harbor City. And I pray, Lord, that you would just remind us again of where you have worked in our lives and where you are working now. I pray, Lord, that you would just open our eyes where we've become a bit dull of seeing, hard of seeing where, where it is that you are at work in our lives. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would begin to see again. And as we do, that we'd begin to tell your story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless everyone. Have a really, really good Sunday and good week.